We're for sharing innovative treatments and preventing disease before it ever develops. Learn how our team is working to better care for you on this edition of UVA Health System Radio. Here's Melanie Cole. Pseudotumor cerebri can cause symptoms that resemble a brain tumor, but is different from that. My guest is Dr. Kenneth Louis, a fellowship-trained neurointerventional surgeon who specializes in caring for patients with aneurysm and stroke, as well as brain and spinal vascular malformations at UVA Neuroscience Brain and Spine Care. Welcome to the show, Dr. Liu. So Thank tell you, us a little bit about pseudotumor cerebri. So pseudotumor is a, is a very, uh, it's, a, it's a condition that, that no one really knows a lot about it. Uh, and it, it, what it what it basically is is uh, a patient will will present with increased pressures in their brain, and uh, and can develop symptoms of severe headache. They can develop visual loss, uh, and uh, and they can have uh, ringing in their ears. But it can be um, a fairly uh, debilitating condition. People are going to have some of these symptoms. And right away, they're going to think that they have a brain tumor. It can be very, you know, very scary. What red flags would people have that would send them to see you? So I think, you know, typically these patients uh, will first go see their their family physician. And, uh, uh, you know, with someone who's uh, demonstrating symptoms of increased pressures in their brain, such as headaches and uh, and maybe visual loss, uh, the doctor will usually have them see an ophthalmologist and, and also undergo some uh, uh, non-invasive brain imaging. Um, and uh, tip- typically, uh, the brain imaging will be fairly normal, no tumors, no aneurysms, no, no, nothing scary or anything like that. And uh, when the eye doctor looks into the patient's eyes, they'll see pressure behind the eyes or fluid built up behind the eyes. And in those sorts of situations, um, uh, uh, that's almost uh, you can almost diagnose the patient with a pseudotumor at that time. And uh, typically, uh, I'll get involved at that point. What are some risk factors for pseudotumor? Uh, that's a you know that's a really great question. I don't think uh, anyone really knows the answer to that question. A lot of patients with pseudotumor tend to be uh, young female uh, patients from about age twenty to uh, thirty-five, forty years old. They do tend to be overweight, um, but I do see patients with pseudotumor that are uh, that are the complete opposite of that. They're male. Uh, they're older. Uh, so I think, um, you know, I think there does tend to be a population of patients who uh, who, who, uh, who who can get this, but it, it really can affect everyone. And, uh, you know, and some people think that um, uh, if you take too much vitamin A, you can get, you can get pseudotumor, but I don't, I don't know that uh, that's really been proven. So, Dr. Liu, is pseudotumor an emergent condition? If, pe- you know, people would come to see you, you would diagnose this. Is this something emergent that you have to do something about very quickly? Can it predispose, predispose someone to stroke or other problems? Um, generally, it's not an emergency condition, but, the, but it, it is, uh, it is, you know, it, it's a condition. I think a lot of physicians can be fooled by it because it's, it's, it appears benign. There's, you know, there's all the imaging is normal and there's no tumor. There's nothing to worry about. But the, you know, but the reality is, is that these patients do indeed have high pressures inside their skull, high pressures inside their brain, which uh, can lead to permanent visual loss. So it is something that, um, uh, that you know, that should be investigated, uh, you know, in a fairly uh, aggressive process. Um, and there have 
given patients, I've had patients who do present in a very uh, emergent fashion, do need do need to go under treatment right away to uh, to, de- to uh, decrease the pressure pressures in their head and to save their vision. So tell us about treatments, Dr. Liu. What treatment options are available? So a lot of the you know more traditional treatment options for a pseudotumor are aimed at uh, trying to get the pressures in the head to come down, and uh, uh, and right right now we don't have a lot of or traditionally there haven't been a lot of great ways to do that. Uh, typically, patients um, will often experience relief when spinal fluid is drained from their brain. So either they undergo a spinal tap or have some kind of drain placed, and uh, and some fluid is taken off. Typically, that will give them some temporary relief. Uh, a lot of times when patients get relief from that, neurosurgeons will put in, such as myself, will put in uh, something that's called a shunt, which is basically a permanent drainage system that drains um, spinal fluid from the brain to uh, another spot in your body, such as uh, the abdomen. Um, you know, the the while the, while these while these shunts can be helpful, it's really not uh, treating the underlying condition. And uh, about five ten years ago, some of us realized that uh, that some of that uh, there's a pot, there's a subset of these pseudotumor patients that actually have narrowing in the veins that that drain blood from the brain. And these, uh, and what that narrowing of the veins does is it essentially causes a traffic jam in the brain. It causes back blood to back up, and that's why the pressures go up. Uh, and you can you can sort of imagine it uh, uh, similar to a clogged toilet. Uh, so, um, you know, a shunt. Uh, if you were to use that analogy, a shunt is something like you know, if your toilet's clogged, you kind of use a bucket or a cup to drain the toilet, which you know doesn't really doesn't really you know fix the underlying issue. Um, one of the uh, latest treatments that we've uh, been uh, pioneering here at UVA is uh, is using a, st- a balloon and a stent to minimally invasively uh, open up these areas of narrowing. And, and what that does is that, that improves the drainage of blood from the brain, decreases the traffic jam, gets rid of the blood backing up, and, uh, uh, and these patients will actually, their pressures uh, will actually return to normal and uh, a lot of times their uh, vision will improve and their headaches will get better as well. What about medications? Is there something in lifestyle changes, anything you want the listeners to know, and what kind of medications might they go on after this treatment? Um, There probably aren't a whole lot of lifestyle changes that a patient can make. Um, A lot of us will recommend... uh, trying weight loss initially, but I know that can be very difficult and, and the results are variable with that with that approach. Um, some physicians will try to, uh, before any kind of invasive treatment, some physicians will, will try a medicine called Diamox to try to decrease the amount of spinal fluid that's produced. Um, again, that doesn't uh, that doesn't really treat the underlying issue of, uh, of potentially having veins that are you know narrowed veins or blocked veins that are that are causing the pressures to, to build up and a lot of patients don't really tolerate Diamox that will make them feel very funny as far as uh, medications that someone might be on um, after a stent is placed uh, anytime a stent is put in the body whether it's in your heart or your brain or your leg or or, or anywhere else um, a stent stents are made out of metal and so patients will typically need to be on a short course of blood thinners to, to, to kind of keep the blood lubricated uh, while the stent heals into the blood vessel and that's the that's the uh, same thing that happens when you, when you have a stent placed uh, uh, in a vein in your brain. You will need to you will need to um, uh, 
typically we have, we have patients on two blood thinners. One is an aspirin. Uh, the other one is a medicine called Plavix, which I'm sure everyone has seen uh, TV commercials for. But typically patients are on these for maybe three to six months after the procedure, and then and then we can, and then we kind of start tapering them off at that point. Dr. Liu, why should patients choose UVA to receive treatment for brain conditions? Well, you know, I think that the great thing about UVA is that uh, uh, I think you have a, uh, a tremendous number of very smart, very bright people uh, here that are leaders in their field, not only in neurosurgery, but uh, in, in areas such as radiology and endocrinology, and, and, and almost every specialty there has, uh, 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 you know, there are uh, tremendously bright people there. Uh, and are considered international experts. Um, you know, for, for something like pseudotumor, uh, uh, you have neurosurgeons, uh, myself and my partner, Dr. Crowley, who are both trained in, you know, we're sort of the uh, uh, 21st century neurosurgeon where we're trained in both open techniques and minimally invasive techniques, and we're able to tailor uh, a patient's treatment to you know, what we think is the uh, safest and most effective uh, treatment option. And then uh, uh, I have colleagues in interventional neuroradiology who are, who, who are also able to who are also who also have a lot of experience placing stents in the brain and and such. So I think um, you know here at UVA not only do we have a lot of bright people, but there's a tremendous amount of collaboration, and uh, I think we're all very excited about uh, figuring how figuring out things that we can do to push the field forward and and uh, give and provide what we think is the is the uh, best care for our patients. Thank you so much, Dr. Kenneth Liu. You are listening to UVA Health Systems Radio. That's You can get more information at uvahealth.com. That's uvahealth.com. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks for listening.